0: Welcome to to Every Generation the Broadcast Ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields located in Jamesburg, New Jersey where we teach through the entire Bible verse by verse and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Matthew 13 starting with verse 31. And the last time we talked about the parable of the wheat and the tares, and if you weren't here, I would encourage you to get it on the website for free. It really explains a lot. You know, when we go through the parables, it's we we really have to be still. We really have to and that's what a lot of worship is designed to do, is to put us in the right frame of mind, to put us where the Lord is, to to just be receptive to what he has to say through the word and, and prayer and different things. And uh, we we just live in a society, and I said it during prayer. That's just a a drive-by society. You could do your banking online. You can, you know, do your shopping online. In one day, I don't know how they do it, but a package arrives at your door. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So you can go through any drive-through and get an instant meal. And you know, if it's more than thirty seconds, people complain. That's where we are. But you know, let me just take you to back two thousand years to where the Lord was. Geographically, and he would go up on a mountainside and people would follow him and he would spend a whole afternoon with them. You know, sometimes on a Sunday we, we have our schedules stacked. I hope Pastor Joe doesn't go past 39 minutes because I have this, this, and this. I get it. This is the society we live in. But people would spend all afternoon hours listening to Jesus. And I'm trying to give that to you in... 39 minutes 40 minutes or what have you Uh, and it's not really easy to do you know sometimes we'll look at the scripture and we'll read it and we're looking for a quick fix we're looking for something quick to make us feel good i need a quick encouragement i need a quick word from the lord you know i need a quick answer because i'm making a decision and god's not going to i I got news for you and and i have to say this to myself he's not going to bow to our will he's not going to bow to american culture and quite frankly that's why i think especially in the united states and western culture we're becoming post christian that's not god's problem it's not god's fault and did you ever notice that the more we have in this country and listen i love my country i'm very patriotic but the more that we have in technology and medicine and 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 you know fast deliveries and you know the more people are unhappy we, we live in a culture that's fractured, it's divided, it's angry, it's, it's you know, it's, it, we're in different camps, and it's really sad. But the answer isn't more stuff, the answer isn't more of the American dream, the answer is Jesus Christ. So when we go through the parables, we can read through something, and I'm, I'm setting you up, because what we read today, a lot of people, I believe, misread, because they read it quickly. They read it, and they say, well, this is what it must mean because this makes sense and I move on and I got my word for today and I'm going to go out into the world. Well, that's not the case. You know, We have to meditate on it. We have to study it. And I'm going to go and give you a lot of things to back it up as we go through the scripture. But today we can look at the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. Not a lot of scripture, but certainly a lot of punch to it. So let's check it out. In verse 31, it says, Another parable he... Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it gr- it's grown, it is greater than all the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast, which a woman hid, took and hid in three measures of meal, or bread dough, until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So he goes through this period of time where he starts to speak in parables. There are stories, there are allegories, there, there's symbolism. And a lot, of, a lot of the crowds just were entertained, Blew it off, walked away. Nothing really here, because they weren't looking deeper. But the ones that really wanted a word from God stayed. And especially his closest followers, when he was done, they would ask him questions, because they wanted to know more. Which camp are we in? Are we the entertained crowd? Do we seek a ministry or a church that wows us? Or do we seek one where the word is present, where we're actually learning something, we're growing, we're applying these things into our lives? So when I read the scripture, some see right off the bat, if you look at on the surface, a beautiful picture of Christianity spreading and positively influencing the world. Ah, nirvana on earth. Well, heaven is in heaven. Earth is the earth. You know, in this, we live in a fallen world. And if you try to make your heaven on earth, as a believer, you're going to be sadly disappointed because that's not the point to all this. Kingdom now theology is a branch of dominion theology, which basically says that God is looking for people to help him. God needs help. Puts out an ad in the paper, being facetious, to take creation back from the evil world. Well, in these points of view, the earth's inhabitants will eventually all be Christianized, and Christians will take control of the world, politically, militarily, etc., Unfortunately, these views have flaws. There's eschatological issues, the study of end times, there's issues in the exegesis of Revelation, and in English it just means it's not scriptural. See, the totality of scripture indicates to us that the world, because it is a fallen creation, because mankind, men and women, have fallen into sin, it's just going to become more decadent. You know, um, The rulers of this earth... Um, the, the people who run the world, the people who pull the puppet strings, things are just going to get worse until an appointed time where the Lord alone will rescue his creation, not needing our help. And if we look at the last three parables, the two I just read, and then the parable of the tares before that, you're really speaking of corruption in Christendom. Bigger isn't always better. You know, a, a quick spread or a quick growth, that might be good for your business, But Jesus is warning his followers, because at the time it was pure, because Jesus was heading it. But he was going to show his followers, them not knowing, we don't know how long it's going to be, that at least for the last 2,000 years, Christendom would grow, but there would be flaws in it. And we had to know that if we're in ministry, or we had to know that if we're really seeking what the Lord's will is. So let's look at this in context of usually what the Lord teaches is more than meets the eye. Again our culture, read it quickly, got it, move on. No, meditate on it, look at other scriptures, see what supports it, and and come up with the answer that God is looking for us to have. So just a real quick refresher, verses one through 23 in Matthew was the parables of the soil. What did we learn? We learned that very few people in the world are interested in God at all. Now, I have to be honest with you, you know, and I do this at times, <laughs> You know, when you're in ministry and you're teaching a lot, you become transparent. You know, people can piece your messages together and your personal experiences, and it's, you know, it's like a microscope. You know, they know about you because you're revealing things little by little. There's times, if it's late at night and I'm driving and then I'm by myself, you know, in addition to whenever I, else I pray, if I'm in the car and it's night and I'm just kind of talking and just talking to the Lord, trying to keep my eyes on the road, of course, but uh, one thing that I grieve about in prayer is that, Lord, it just, I don't get it. You know, I, I mean, I, I sit with people, I think I can be pretty persuasive, I, I know the word, and, and I even talk to evangelists too. Uh, a lot of people just don't want God. Now, I, I have God, and that's great for me, but I'm not one of those people that says, well, well, I got everything, and I don't really care about anybody else. The more you get closer to God, the more you want others to have that relationship too. And it bothers me. I'm not mad at the people. I'm not angry. God's not saying, hey, you, you didn't get 100 this week. You know, it doesn't work like that. But I want to see people have that relationship, too. But what does Jesus say? The majority of the inhabitants of humanity are not going to care about God. And that said, even many in Western Christianity would prefer a quick religion. Let me do a quick rite, a quick ritual. Let me write a quick check, and I'll be OK. God wants more from us than that. You know, That if we did that with a relationship, our relationship would be ruined. This is God we're talking about. Verses 24 through 30, the parable of the wheat and the tares, 36 through 43, I covered this as well. What does this tell us? It says that as Christendom, and I'm going to just do the diagram real quick for those that weren't here, and just as a refresher, those in Christendom, as it would grow, that there would be infiltrators there would be those that would purposely get in, have nefarious motives to try to thwart God's will. Um, again, if you weren't here last Sunday, really good for explaining it. But if we could put up that diagram, and basically, this is the way Jesus expresses it in the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he says, and I kind of did it in circles, like, kind of like Venn diagrams here, but the wor- this is the world, right? This is creation. Human beings live and multiply and go through eras on this world and this creation. Um, He spoke about in a section of that world that God would bring people to salvation. Um, Some would resist, many would accept, and you have the church, the true church. Okay, that's this circle. Then you have those within the world that maybe, you know, there's unbelievers out here that are just minding their own business. There's others that Satan inspires to come into churches and cause problems, or into ministries, or into Christendom. Where the overlap is, right here, is Christendom. So when I say Christendom, it's speaking of 2.2 billion adherents to Christianity on the globe. Not all of those people are true Christians. This is what the Bible says. So now that we have that in our mind, we can continue. Let's look at this again. Let's take another glance. Third verse 31. Another parable he put forth to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds but when it grows when it's grown it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Believe it or not this is a picture of aberrant abnormal too fast False growth. A Christendom that boasts of, and you've heard it, and you've seen it. We are in the age of information. We can see what ministries are doing halfway across the world. A Christendom that boasts of material possessions, power, and political influence. Now let me just look at a few things here. There is a black mustard plant, and it's called Brassica nigra. And it's indigenous to that area where Jesus was. A lot of Bible scholars believe. And there's different forms of the mustard plant. It's really not known as a tree. And what happens is, if we can put the uh, image up of the spoon with the black mustard in it, that's a normal sized spoon. Look how tiny those seeds are. Of course, it looks really big on the screen. (laughs) But they are tiny. And you grind up those seeds, and you can make a spice out of it. right? that plant often grows to the size of a flexible bush, certainly not a tree and not able to have birds' nest in it. However, on very limited and, I say, aberrant, it's abnormal circumstances, it can display inexorable growth. So if we look at the sec- second uh, image, now this is funny, because I go on the internet and I look for images, right? And I have to vet my sites, because I don't want it to be some weird site or something inappropriate. So I'm, going, I'm looking at mustard plant. I get this site, and here's a guy who's pointing to the black mustard that grows in Israel. And if you... So I'm like, all right, let me look at the page, and I'm reading the story. The guy is actually mocking, mildly, the Lord, saying he can't be the Messiah because doesn't he know that the black mustard, it's not a tree, it's a big bush... So he's showing this to prove that, well, if he really was the Son of God, he would know since he created everything. It just reinforces the point. He doesn't get it because he looked like a lot of people on the surface and says, Lord doesn't know what he's talking about. That's not what Jesus was saying. So let's go deeper into this. In Luke 13, the man puts the mustard plant in his garden, usually a small spice garden in that area back then, but Jesus says it grows into a large tree. Very unusual. Little spice plants, puts the mustard in there, thing takes off, it's a tree. Probably, you know, in, in, in this allegory, in this symbolism. It's unusual. Mark 4, he adds that it shoots out large branches and creates shade for the birds. Also unusual. It's not unusual if we understand what his meaning really was. Right? Again, the crowds looked at it on the surface. Jesus said, go deeper. The disciples, when everybody left, would say, Lord, we don't understand, explain this to us. And he would, right? What do we know? That the tiny mustard seed in the parable ends up growing into a huge tree. And we know that Christianity started with one person, God the Son. Now, at the time of the first century, if you look at all sources, and the Romans did take a census of the world, and other uh, societies also took a census, and they had to, because when they went to war, they had to know how many young men they had that they could give swords and shields to to fight their neighbor if they were thinking of going to war. So census the census is not just something that's an American thing. This has gone back thousands of years, and it only makes sense if you're an organized country. So back then, at the time of Jesus, the world population world population was approximately 300 million. Today, like I said before, 2.2 billion people claim Christianity. But according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, and we know, they're not all Christians. Is it for me to select who's right and who's wrong and who's going to heaven and who's not? No. But I know what the facts say. You know, look, God deals with the intricate details. The parable of the wheat and the tares. What did Jesus say? The narrow road. So we know that we're looking at something that's not normal. Uh, Jesus mentions birds nesting in this plant, again, which doesn't normally have the stability to support the birds. And you can see as the guy was mocking, you know, those stems were small, the branches were tiny. You, know, you, you a bird, you ever see a... I've actually had birds' nest every once in a while fall out of the tree, and they used mud and, and twigs and stuff, and you, you pick it up, it has some substance to it. You're not going to put that on a flimsy plant and it's just going to weigh it down. Okay? So let's look at exegetical constancy. And I, I'd like to throw little doctrine in here for those that are interested in it. Um, exegetical constancy means that when the Lord uses symbolism from parable to parable, he doesn't change it much. Because if he does, he confuses everybody, even his disciples. Who's going to understand it if one day the... The tree is a, a really good thing and the next parable it's a really bad thing and the next time it's it's a really good thing people are going to be like the lord wouldn't do that to us god's word is is not the author of confusion now birds in the parables are a symbol of evil and there's a reason for that doesn't mean birds are bad <laughs> so we have a lot of bird houses on our property they eat the bugs we don't use pesticides so birds are very helpful they're lovely um but in the symbolism and the, the reason why the Lord assigns these symbols to these creatures that we see or this creation is because they have a, a character that helps to help you understand the parable if you use that character as an allegory, as a symbol. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean. So in the parable of the soils, it was the birds, remember, that plucked up the seed and the birds were a picture of satan that when the word goes into some people's hearts he tries to remove it he tries to distract them Uh, in revelation 18 the birds are also a symbol of evil i was discussing this with a friend of mine who's in ministry from another church and he said we were we had these really nice discussions and you know not everybody we don't always agree with each other and he said but but didn't the ravens feed elijah i said yes but they were real ravens you see the difference this is symbolic Birds aren't bad, they're a beautiful creature. But symbolically, because of what they do, they're used in this parable as a symbol of evil. When my friend challenged me, I said, the birds that actually fed Elijah were real birds. That's why there's a difference, okay? So as you go through God's word, you have to make sure that you read it in its context. The tree in the scripture, Daniel 4, heavily ezekiel 17 the tree represents a world power or an empire of man now this symbolism already existed prior to the time of christ prior to the first century and it's this repetitive theme of corruption in christendom you see the church was established pure because christ established it you know it started with christ and then christ gave good people to to run the organization so to speak to continue to make disciples, to continue to propagate the word of God. But it started to grow. And now it's grown into a kingdom, if you look at all of Christendom, and this is good for those of you that came in here as skeptics, because you have this negative opinion of God because of what you see in churches or ministries or things on TV today christendom has morphed into a wealth building materialistic compromising politically powerful military dominant still in some areas of the world especially in the middle ages large tree harboring false doctrine and evil and the lord wanted to warn us of that the lord wanted to warn us of that so if you look out there and you go and you're searching for the truth you might stumble on things that cause you to stumble and say is this really god And maybe it's a discernment. Maybe the answer is no. Well, if they say that they're Christians or they say that this, a lot of people say those things. Some people, um, you know, today if you get into a big ministry, you can make a fortune. You know, some of these ministries, literally the people in the church empty their wallets into the basket at the the pastor's command. I wonder what they rake in at the end of the day. Well, we're not going to do that anytime soon, so don't panic about that. But this is what they see that's weird. Is that is that what Jesus taught? Is that what the word says? Not really. Now, oftentimes bigger brings in more problems. So, I went to a Calvary that was really large before I became the pastor here, and they would have big outreaches. And sometimes it would attract hundreds, sometimes thousands of people depending on the size of the outreach. Because I was a police officer, They would ask us, the police officers who went to the church, if we would help to do security. Why? It's a Christian event. Because the bigger the the outreach, the more people brought in strange folks. Some of them were dangerous, some of them were unpredictable, some of them were prone to violence. These are the tares, you see, that are getting into, and just like the Lord said, the wheat and the tares. So you you have as the numbers increase, it's a mathematical probability that your tears are going to increase too. This is something that I, I experienced firsthand as even as a new believer. So let me just also give you a little history lesson too. Those of you, many of you, know this. When did when did the tree get so so big in human history? We can really trace this back to the conversion of the Emperor Constantine in the Roman Empire, I believe around the 4th century A.D. He accepted... So, the Christians were being persecuted. And Constantine supposedly has this conversion. Some believe it wasn't legitimate, it was a political thing. And what happened was he had the Edict of Milan that said Christianity will be tolerated. So all these Christians, oh, they breathe a sigh of relief. They weren't being thrown into the den of lions, they weren't, you know, the, the colosseums. they weren't being killed for their faith. It was, a, it was a relief. But now what Satan did was, instead of attacking the church from the outside, he got inside of it. And what happened was, the Edict of Milan tolerated all faiths. And the Romans were very pagan. They had a very um, pornographical and just horrible forms of supposed worship. They were cults. And everybody got along together. It was this big ecumenical movement. Now, some of the things we even see in Easter, we call it Resurrection Sunday, a lot of paganism in that. Same thing with commercialized Christianity. A lot of this stuff came from Constantine. So you see the tree is starting to grow and becomes problematic. Even in American culture, how many people really understand the meaning of Christmas or the meaning of Easter? You know, the bunnies, the eggs, the this, the springtime. They merged, the Romans merged a lot of the cults with Christianity to infiltrate it, to water it down. So that's, that's what you have. You see this tree actually starting to grow under Constantine. In the Middle Ages, some of the church became very powerful. It commanded militaries, armies, navies, fought, chased down heretics, murdered them because they didn't believe everything that the church said. It's part of the tree growing. Now here's a caveat. Because if you watch TV, honestly, I believe the more TV we watch, the dumber we get. It actually starts to chip away at our IQ. Lower, lower, lower. And I don't know if media people are just evil. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm painting with a broad brush. There is an agenda, there's definitely a Marxist agenda they, they, you have the military or the, the media people and the, the elites, the academia, the Hollywood people, the politicians. When they all get together, worry. And they all don't like real Christianity. And if you watch the TV, you'll think that history was one way until you actually go in and find out it was another way. So I don't know if they purposely don't vet their sources, they're trying to deceive us, or they just don't know, they're ignorant. But history is very important. There were crusades that were defensive. Now, if you listen to the media, you'll think these mean Christians—they were trying to take over the world. Actually, the opposite is true. If you look at the Battle of Tours, the Battle of Vienna, the Siege of Malta, these were Christians saying to the Umayyads, to the Turks, to the Muslim invasion: "Stop beheading us! Stop kidnapping us! Stop—you know—raping! You know, this has to stop. We don't want to be forcibly converted." And they repelled the uh, Islamic invasions. These are—this is all fact. You can. You know what's amazing? I went into secular sources, and they're not even Christian sources, and they're like, yeah, they were defensive. But you watch TV, and they say the Christians were... No, they weren't. Egypt, North Africa, the Middle East, the Near East was Christian. But when, this, when the death of Muhammad happened, a lot of his successors were very violent, and they amassed armies, and they started attacking and forcibly converging. And a lot of these places that I mentioned, are the Christianity is almost a speck. So if it wasn't for a lot of these defensive crusades, Europe might have been completely, and the United States as well. So just that was defensive. That was not aggressive. That was just people saying, you know, we just want to protect ourselves. So just make sure we understand the difference between the two, okay? Verse 33, we continue. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So the parable of the leaven. This expresses, and just like my friend I was telling you about, you know, our disagreement on the meaning. You can disagree. I'm not going to kick you out of the church. I mean, you know, whatever. I'm just, whenever I go through this stuff, I always present the case. I'm an investigator by nature. I back it up with facts and other scripture, and that's what I think we need to do. You know, the Bible says, let's reason amongst each other, amongst ourselves. God gave us a big brain. He wants us to use it. You know, when we come into the church, outside of what some of the hostile secularists say, we don't check our mind at the door. We do reason amongst each other. You know, we do search and we try to find the true meaning of these things. So the parable of the leaven or yeast, this expresses a permeating corruption, compromise, and sinfulness. And this is the problem when you believe in, and some of the hyper-Calvinist movements believe this, it's replacement theology. So what they believe is that God is done with Israel, it's kind of like written them off, and the church is the new Israel. Uh, that's a real problem with a lot of these Old Testament um, prophecies about Israel and our future. They don't match with the church. The other thing that uh, replacement theology does is it pretty much does away with the Old Testament. It's really hard to get a foundation and understand the New Testament without the Old. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law of Moses. I came to fulfill it. There's a big difference between the two. So we look at that, and when you when you are into replacement theology and you do away with the Old Testament, you miss the symbolism. So leaven is a picture, yeast is a picture of sin. So if you go into Exodus 12, the Passover, what did they do before you know the, the celebration and all? Well, they spent a lot of time going through their house looking for the leaven. To eat it? No. To actually find it and get it out of the house, to throw it out, to destroy it. Does it mean God doesn't like the poor little fungus, you know, the little leaven fungus, the little yeast? It, again, it doesn't mean that just like the birds. But because leaven has the ability to expand and grow so fast and totally permeate in, in symbolism, it's used as a picture of sin. So in the Passover, get rid of the leaven. Get it out of the house. 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul reinforces this. Exodus 34, God says, I don't even want it in my sacrifices. When you sacrifice to me, it needs to be unleavened bread because leaven was a picture of sin. Don't bring it before me. I don't, I don't want it. And certainly, Jesus would not use it favorably to describe Christendom. So, what is leaven? It's basically a fungus that can consume sugars and excretes alcohol products and carbon dioxide, and it usually makes in a, a soft, moist dough. It makes these bubbles. And if you've ever made bread, you'll see that you, you look at it in minute one, and it looks whatever. You come back in an hour, and phew, the thing's just getting big. But it's not lumpy, like some of it's moving and, and like, it's like little lumps here and there, right? It's when you, when you knead it and you permeate it through and you leave it there, the leaven gets to every corner of that dough and it, it uniformly grows. It's pretty impressive to watch. So it, it's a picture of sin spreading. Jesus uses it in the New Testament to symbolize what, sin? Outside of this parable, hypocrisy, false teaching, compromise, right? Compromise in Christendom and religion. Now, for a Jewish believer to hear that Jesus was speaking of the church this way, or excuse me, not the church proper, that's the true body of believers, Christendom, a Jewish believer would be like, it can't be positive, it has to be negative, because I know what's established in the Old Testament. So again, we bring all these things together. So, verse thirty-three: the woman also hid it or concealed it. Seems deceptive. Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares. While men slept, the enemy came and he sowed tares into that field. Okay. Um, dis- discard the leaven, expose it, not hide it. All right? Going back to the parable of the wheat and the tares, the the dough, the wheat dough, is a picture of the two, the true church. But the leaven has gotten in there, like the diagram i showed you and has gotten in there and is infiltrated it's gotten inside of it okay verse 33 three measures so this one woman is making three measures three measures is greater than 20 quarts which if you take 20 quarts of of that virgin dough let it be leavened and then actually bake it and it gets even bigger you can feed up to 100 people which was very excessive for one baker so just like the mustard was aberrantly large um the same thing is happening here with the leaven. David Guzik said that three measures was actually the exact measure of the grain offering that people would give to God to offer it to him, uh, and leaven is not supposed to be there, so it's definitely negative. Okay, all, all this talk about kind of negativity, what's the good news? It was kind of funny because I thought that, all right, I gotta give him something positive here uh, because it's kind of a downer. <laughs> And then I actually read somebody I respect, Warren Wearsby, and saw what he said, and he said what I was thinking. But let me read it to you. His book on Matthew, Be Loyal, verse one or page one eleven. It says, The kingdom of heaven began with the sowing of the Word of God in the hearts of men, the parable of the soils, right? Much of the seed did not bear fruit, but some was fruitful. Satan opposed the work of God by sowing counterfeit Christians parable of the wheat and the tares, right? By encouraging a false growth and by introducing false doctrine. It seems that Satan is winning, but the rest or the test is at the end of the age, not during the age. And and this is what you do. There's a lot of ministries that won't preach things that they think come off negative because they want their churches to burgeon, <laughs> right? How ironic. We're talking about the mustard and and the 11, they purposely omit things that get us to think, to get us to think critically uh, about who we are and what we're involved in. And it's just always a positive message, and it's a burgeoning explosion of a ministry. But that's not the way Jesus taught. You know, it's amazing that when the masses came to him, naturally, he he said things in a way that caused critical thinking, to cause reflective thinking, A lot of people walked away, Oh, this is the Messiah, this isn't what I expected. Unlike some of the preachers of today, Jesus was actually looking for the few that were serious. So my my positive message for you this morning is there is a true church. It's not like a special membership, you don't have to fill out an application, just have to believe and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for you, that he died for your sins 2,000 years ago. And that we can't get to heaven on our own merits. We can't do it through re- religion. We can't do it through drive-by ministry. It's, it's a relationship. And I understand, I get it. In this culture, who needs just another relationship? It's great to have Facebook friends because, hey, you know, you could have a friend here and there, talk to them here and there. You don't have to put that much time, but they're friends because it says friends under your queue. I have 1,000 Facebook friends. I don't, but some people do. I have 5,000 friends. This isn't a Facebook relationship with the Lord. This is a, a serious, intimate relationship. We share our dreams, we share our heart, we, we listen, we, we read his word, and it's something that we, we desire to be in fellowship with him. So that's actually the good news. The good news is there is that circle of the church, of the wheat. It's a small circle, but it's there. Jesus said, on the path of life, it's the narrow road. Very few people find that road. But they're going to heaven. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a promise that God makes. You know? We continue. If I could, you know, just take the, the message out of both parables here, too, I would say that bigger isn't always better. That growth isn't always good. You know, Christianity or Christendom was prior, was more pure prior to the compromising with Rome. And you can see throughout history all the different stages, all the landmarks where the mustard seed the tree got a little bigger, and and the meal rose a little bit more. Okay, in history, I believe that the Lord was warning His disciples and us of the challenge of of the hypergrowth in Christendom. You now, to see that all that glitters isn't gold, and this is also good for new believers who are trying to find their way. They're looking online, they're going to bookstores. They're well, this is a bestseller, and the person said he's Christian, and they're getting confused. I think that a new believer, when they hear this message, will say, "Oh." Wow, that's clear. So what you're saying, Pastor Joe, is that whatever I read, it really should be based solidly on the scripture. Absolutely. Look at the person's agenda. Find a Christian that's more mature, that maybe is discipling or mentoring you, and say, hey, there's this book that everybody's reading. What do you think? You know? Well, I think it's good because it's got a scriptural foundation, or I think it's bad because it's too much opinion, and honestly, there's an agenda in this book. We can also make the... the, the application to our personal lives and our devotional life. That whatever state that we're in, to be content. You know, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, he says, and I'll just read part of it, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content." Now I put something on my personal Facebook page. I'm probably going to transfer it to the church at some point using that scripture, where I think as, as Westerners we are. We're you know we're stressed. We're exhausted. You know some of us we can't fall asleep because we have to think about all the things we have to do during this week. It's the culture that we live in. It just attacks. It distracts us, it pulls us in all these different directions. I know people who have gone to uh, a missions trip that have never done that before. My sister was one of them. You know, Going to Mexico, it was completely different. She was, fra- she was a Jersey girl. You know, She goes to Mexico and she comes back. Like, she's like, wow, what a perspective check. And, and this is what happens. Because we're like, there's a whole world out there outside of the United States. And, and some of them, here's the thing. Some of them are dirt poor, and they're happy. And Americans can't understand when they go to these countries, how could somebody poor be happy? How could they be excited? How could they be praising? They don't get it. Maybe there's something we can learn from these cultures. Maybe bigger isn't always better. I mean, come on. You, you supersize your happy meal. You're going to have all kinds of saturated fat, salt, and sugar, and you're going to go into... a eat that long enough, you're going to go into a, a, a coma, and your blood's going to be all messed up. There was, a, was, there was a show, Super Size Me, that was based on that. You know, bigger isn't always better. The bigger tumor is not better. The bigger debt with the IRS isn't better. We have to look at this. So yes, Jesus is making a large application, but we can also make a personal application. And you know, we can spend our whole lives on the rat race, on the treadmill of life, And then actually get to the top and stand on the top and look back and be a lot older and think, what did I do with my life? What's so great about the top? It's lonely up here. I never really did anything meaningful for humanity, for the Lord, for the Lord's kingdom. And that's where Satan wants us, to be on that treadmill. So just as Christendom is not supposed to grow to this aberrant, abnormal size, You know, there's a broader application in Scripture that we can also make to our personal lives. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey.